FinCEN, the U.S. Financial Crimes Enforcement Network of the U.S. Treasury, wants to know how much, where, and exactly who is holding cryptocurrency, and it could soon be law. Welcome to Word on the Block, the series that takes a deeper dive into blockchain and the emerging technologies that shape our world at the intersection of business, politics, and economy. It's what we cover right here on Forecast News. I'm Editor-in-Chief Angie Lau. Well, FinCEN extended the comment period to its proposed crypto wallet rule to March 29th, 2021. Under the proposal, crypto exchanges will be mandated to store personal information of every customer that move funds to their personal wallets. Now, the Chamber of Digital Commerce calls this a shocking invasion of privacy, but the implications could have bigger impact than that. Let's learn more. Joining me today is founder and president of the Chamber of Digital Commerce. This is the world's leading trade organization for digital assets and the blockchain industry. Perianne Boring, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Angie. This is such an important issue. Look forward to chatting with, <laughs> with you about this. Absolutely. All right. Get us up to speed. Why did FinCEN decide to come up with a proposal in the first place? This is something that was actually being spearheaded by the former Secretary of the Treasury, Steve Mnuchin. And there were geopolitical as well as political motivations behind these proposed rules. As you know, Steve Mnuchin served uh, as part of the Trump administration, who is uh, no longer in office. It is very typical when you have one administration leaving and another one coming in to have midnight rulemakings, and this was a part of that. Uh, what I believe is that Secretary Mnuchin, or former Secretary Mnuchin, wanted to leave a legacy as he was le leaving office as hard on crypto. And there were also rumors of some geopolitical forces um, at, uh, that played a, a role in this as well. Uh, Bitcoin in particular has really soared in terms of um, acceptance and use, and uh, you're seeing huge growth in the overall crypto economy, but also Bitcoin. Um, and the rumor is that there's many other nations around the world that see this as a threat to their sovereign currencies. I do not think that is the right way for governments to assess Bitcoin's role in the financial system. Um, but there, uh, the, the idea is that there was pressure from the international community to clamp down on Bitcoin, and this was one way they were going about that. So Secretary Mnuchin was driving this through the public policy process, um, and ultimately, uh, he was not able to get this done at the 11th hour, um, something we were very proud to be able to help play a role in and stopping because, like you said, uh, it wouldn't actually accomplish what it was set out to do. And two, um, it would have major unintended consequences for an incredibly important nascent and emerging ecosystem. When you rush anything through, um, you know, be it government policy to doing your fifth grade homework, uh, <laughs> there's just going to be an enormous, um, you know, a lot of things that fall through the cracks. So, so time is often, you know, uh, one of the insurance, uh, I guess, of making sure that every T is crossed and I is dotted and that, that there's full understanding of the concept uh, before moving forward. So do you think that the, the, 
it's a good sign that FinCEN has extended uh, the the consideration time period to uh, the end of March, which is speaking in February. It's it's another you know, it's it's another month and a half. Yeah. So to kind of go back through what actually happened here. Uh, Secretary or former Secretary Mnuchin was not going to have any comment period at all. Mind you, this is a incredibly comprehensive set of rules, 70 plus pages of new regulations that would that would impact every single money service business and bank that has virtual currency transactions going through their system. They wanted to publish it as an interim final rule, meaning no comment period. And the day it's published, it would be law. When uh, we understood that was the intention, we put considerable amount of pressure on the Secretary of Treasury's office to not do that uh, because there is a, a one that's not the right way to bring something like this forward. And two, anytime there's going to be comprehensive new rules on a nascent industry, it's incredibly important that the uh, the industry itself, the experts, the technologists, the lawyers, the legal community has the opportunity to work with government to get it right. That is part of the point of a comment period. Um, so we put pressure to get that comment period, and it was a 15-day comment period over the Christmas and New Year's holiday, which put the entire industry in a huge frenzy. I know my team deleted their entire vacation to be able to address that. What ultimately ended up happening was over 7,500 people and organizations filed comments to a 70 plus page rule in 15 days. And our voices were heard. And that comment period ultimately was extended for a full 60 days. That's what we asked for. We you know, asked for that in our comment letters. We sent another separate letter directly to Secretary Mnuchin. We had many people call his office directly and ask for that. And we made a true impact in, in having this follow a, you know, a proper policy process. Um, so now we're under that 60-day comment period. Um, but that certainly was um, a huge step forward um, for all those who are working so hard to ensure that the public policy that impacts this space actually achieves the goals that it's looking to set up um, and does so in a way that does not stifle innovation. So it's not over. We're still working through the process, but we now have the opportunity to get this right as policymakers and as industry and innovators. Some of the framing of that it isn't um, irrelevant, though. I mean, the the industry has moved at such quick pace. Uh, there is um, not only U.S. concern, but uh, global regulatory concern about just the speed in which digital assets and cryptocurrency uh, moves, um, and and they 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 want some feeling of of uh, being able to uh, apply apply you know standards and rules. Um, so it's it's not irrelevant, but what are some of the things that FinCEN, you know, is asking to do? And in your view, uh, what what is the impact of of that on on innovation? For example, uh, one of the proposed crypto rules would require money service businesses uh, like crypto exchanges and banks to store customers and counterparties KYC information for transactions. What would be wrong with that? Okay, so 
FinCEN was the first regulatory agency to issue guidance on convertible virtual currencies like Bitcoin. So they issued the first guidance on March of uh, March 18th of 2013, and they have issued many other pieces of guidance since then. FinCEN has been one of the most proactive regulators in this space. They have the, the jurisdiction they need to address criminal activity, leveraging cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology. There is many, many, many incidents where FinCEN has been effective in bringing the law against criminals that are abusing this technology for nefarious purposes. You can see that in the courts. We've had uh, prosecutors and members of FinCEN testify in front of Congress talking about about this. So first and foremost, it's important to understand that FinCEN has the tools they need to protect the financial system when it comes to cryptocurrencies. This overhaul in many ways was not necessary and would be ineffective. And I'll just talk about some of the things there that are different and would change where we currently are. Um, so this particular rule for transactions at a $3,000 threshold or above, the bank or the, the money service business, like a trading platform, would have to verify the customer's identity and obtain the name and the physical address of all counterparties of the transaction. That all counterparties part is the key piece. So it's not just the customer, it's the customer's customer. Okay, and then one step forward for transactions of $10,000 above, they need all that information, plus the transaction hash and the wallet address. So this is something we have never seen before in any type of AML, BSA compliance in history. And what makes this a, a huge overstep in privacy is as you know, anybody knows in the, the crypto or the blockchain space, once you have a wallet address, you don't only have the, the history of that one transaction that applies to that regulated institution. You have that person's entire transaction history going backwards and going forward. And that is what is an overstep and potentially would create what I would argue a surveillance state, which is absolutely not appropriate. I mean, let's let's uh, bring it to the real world, right? It, it would be equivalent to uh, any time I use fiat, you know, paper paper dollar. I uh, I would have to I ha I would have to fill out forms. I uh, I would have to get the merchant to fill out forms. I uh, you know and, and verify his or her uh, residential address before I'm allowed to use this currency and before they're allowed to accept it. It's that level of bureaucracy that adds massive bureaucratic friction to what innovation has lauded as being a seamless peer-to-peer uh, -peer transaction. Yeah, and it, it's not just friction, it's the amount of information that government has over the people, over lawful citizens who have not engaged in any type of nefarious or even questionable history. So this would be a change in, in the relationship between the citizens and, their, and the regulators. And it's something that we don't think you, we should see in any jurisdiction, but especially in the United States of America. It's just that one step more. 
um, that that is uncomfortable. I mean, if you take a look at the industry, there there are ways to track. I mean, blockchain is very transparent. I mean that that you can see every transaction, um, and then when there is nefarious action, uh, the fact is that cryptocurrencies at the moment, with KYC and AML rules, they know exactly who the person is uh, receiving and then trying to exchange for fiat out of that exchange if it's dirty uh, cryptocurrency or the like. We've seen the, the these type of forensic actions already retrieving you know, hacked Bitcoin. But are you saying that this is that one step more that creates discomfort for anybody who wants or anybody who's holding cryptocurrency? Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And blockchain technology has already proved to be a boon to law enforcement. Again, FinCEN has the tools they need to have jurisdiction over the space and to apprehend criminals who are abusing this technology for nefarious purposes. The laws work. Uh, there has been many, many instances where we can show that they have been, that law enforcement has been effective with the tools that they had. Um, taking this to where we're submitting now transaction hashes and wallet addresses to the regulators absolutely is going too far. We now have a new U.S. Uh, Secretary of the Treasury uh, and Janet Yellen, uh, former uh, Federal Reserve Chair, is uh, the her reputation is is she's very specific. She's very thoughtful. She listens. Uh, not only to other board governors, but you know that this this is this is by reputation her style. Um, how have you found how have you found this new administration, new leadership working with working with uh, you know both this FinCEN proposal and other other policies uh, as it relates to digital assets and blockchain. Yeah, it's a great question. So we're still within the first just couple of weeks of the Biden-Harris administration. Uh, and uh, uh, Janet Yellen has been nominated to be the Secretary of the Treasury. She still has to go through that nomination process, um, as well as many other key um, uh, 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 regulatory agencies like Gary Gensler, who's been, um, uh, who likely will take the helm at the SEC, um, there's, uh, you know, seems to be pretty good um, indication that Chris Brummer will head the CFTC. Uh, Michael Barr is who we're hearing will be at the OCC. So it's a little too early to tell. A lot of these positions have not been solidified through the nomination process. There's definitely a number of people who are very educated on blockchain technology and cryptocurrencies. For example, Gary Gensler has published a number of papers while serving um, in an academic uh, capacity at MIT. So one of the things that I see is a big positive. If you have people who are educated, who understand this industry at a technical level, which is a plus because when we go in, we have issues or we need to communicate our challenges to them, we will be able to have a more sophisticated conversation and really talk about the substance of what is needed in law. Um, however, Bitcoin and blockchain and crypto is not a part of the Biden-Harris 100-day one, uh, plan. 
Um, we do hope blockchain technology will be a priority. In fact, that is something we have called for in this administration. We do think we need to make blockchain a priority in this country to ensure that we can compete on the global landscape. Um, but there's still a lot um, uh, that's, uh, you know, we'll be analyzing over the next couple of weeks and months as more people are filling these roles. Um, and it, we're still in very early days. Um, but remember, blockchain is not and it should not be a political issue. This is about technology. This is about jobs. This is about economic. Uh, and this is, uh, this is about uh, the economy and, um, and about innovation. It should not be about partisan politics on the left or the right. So I don't believe we should see a huge change in shifts, um, a huge change in the shift in administrations. Um, and we wouldn't want that. Um, again, we want to focus on the technology and the merits of what this brings to the economy. Um, not turn this into a partisan issue. You know, I couldn't agree more, but uh, sometimes reality is what it is. Um, it is interesting, the the framing of cryptocurrency um, by, by not only government, but also legacy industries and institutions have been very interesting. Uh, and um, especially with the rise of central bank backed digital currencies there there's certainly there's certainly a political aspect to it um but i absolutely hear you on the technology um policy as it impacts technology is increasingly one of the big concerns coming out of the industry this is something that you and i have have talked about as the proposed rule of uh that that fincen is currently um considering there is a lot of potential impact on innovation, including a really fast moving space called decentralized finance, DeFi. And, you know, in speaking with, you know, a lot of the blockchain thought leaders uh, uh, joining forecast, um, predicting that regulating DeFi is going to be something that regulators uh, will want to focus on. Now, with this with this policy, it actually does really put a huge dent on even this, the, the space in what we're seeing DeFi in which centralized finance is starting to pay attention as the technology is enormously interesting um, for financial instruments. Uh, so, so where do you see that? How, how could this also squash innovation and you know, what, what are the things that, that need to be considered? Yeah, Angie, you highlight a really good point, which are what are the unintended consequences of a rushed rule? And, you know, the, 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 the intention of this would be to protect the financial system. But at what cost are we doing that? Uh, this absolutely what would have a major impact on any type of smart contract based system in the entire DeFi space. Um, a 15 day comment period is not sufficient time to understand or impact that. Uh, the rule also talked about the cost of implementing this rule. And in, in 15 days, we were able to pull some data from our members about the increase and in compliance cost. What we're unable to put a metric on 
is innovations that we would never that would never see the light of day because they were not given um, a space to to exist, to grow, and to thrive. So this is something policymakers constantly have to grapple with, and it's something we're very vocal about at the chamber, which is yes. We absolutely need to protect against illicit activity. We absolutely need to have a strong rule of law. That's what's good for business. That's what's good for, um, uh, that, you know, that, 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 that is the right thing to do. But you also have to ensure that we are not um, disincentivizing innovation or um, uh, encouraging innovators to, to leave the United States altogether. And we've already done that in the US in many instances. And that is something that certainly keeps me up at night. Um, and is something we're, we're constantly um, having to remind ourselves of is how do we encourage the development of this technology within our borders? And anytime you're being bringing comprehensive rules and regulations into a nascent space, it needs to be done so very thoughtfully, not through a rushed process. Let's just contrast that with what's happening in, in Asia. Um, uh, so this FinCEN rule specifically, the, the one aspect of having to report personal information to FinCEN, both on the customer side and then also the, the, both on the buy and sell side. Um, if they are unable to do so, they would not be able to host the transaction, which would mean that either you know, financially they wouldn't be able to do so because it's so bureaucratically heavy, uh, if they they might not even be able to do so because it's it's near impossible. There's also you know uh, capping uh, capping uh, monet. There's a monetary cap of uh, fifty thousand to a smart contract. Uh, if you're staking in DeFi, that's beyond you know this the cap that uh, FinCEN has put out there. Um, so to your point, a lot of unintended consequences. And so then what happens uh, in the DeFi space? Well, I'll tell you what's happening in, in Asia. We recently reported that a government agency of South Korea basically put out this in, uh, huge report that, you know, executive headline was that decentralized finance is the future and South Korea should be positioning itself to be a world leader in DeFi. What we're also reporting and seeing in China is this increasing uh, recognition that the DeFi space is very interesting, and we have the blockchain services network in China, and they're 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 looking into participating, and they're looking into DeFi with much more interest. That's what's happening in Asia. If you're shutting down DeFi participation from the U.S. side, that if you want to participate in DeFi and you can't legally do that in the U.S., where are you going to go? Yeah, and that's, you know, I think the broader issue is just the tone and the tenor towards crypto and blockchain in the United States. There is no government strategy. You have many, many, many different regulatory agencies. One of the things that really works against the U.S. is we have this fragmented regulatory environment where you have the SEC and the CFTC and FinCEN and IRS and DOJ, and then you have Congress and like the then you have the states. And the list just goes on and on and on of the regulatory stakeholders that entrepreneurs and businesses have to go through and navigate through to be able to operate in the U.S. And you have different regulators who are 
um, enforcing the rules that they have jurisdiction over and all of the signals that we're sending to the marketplaces, don't do this, don't do that. If you trip up, we're coming after you. There is very little signals coming from the US government that's saying we understand the critical importance that digital assets and blockchain technologies are going to play in the global economy for generations to come. And we should be finding ways to harness this technology and the benefits here. And that's where we're messing up. And it's a lack of leadership. And again, that's why we're calling on the Biden and the Harris administration to make blockchain a priority and to have a strategy on how the U.S. is going to compete globally. And if we don't, the U.S. has a lot to lose. And the next Silicon Valley likely will not be in, in California. It's already going to Texas, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> uh, but but noted, um, and that is a that is a that is a real um, point to consider. Um, but you know, for for a lot of people who are observing this space, and certainly you know at a global level, the, you know, to defend the regulatory uh, principle is let's just follow the rules. If there are illicit activities out there and if there are loopholes um, and if crypto has a potential to uh, fund that or participate in that, uh, that is a real concern. What should regulators be thinking about? Are there things that you as the chamber, um, you know, considers recommendations to FinCEN during the comment period? Are there things that FinCEN can do that actually does make sense in your view? You know, again, FinCEN has been very proactive and has been um, uh, in many ways uh, a strong partner in the industry. They've worked very closely with the industry to be able to take the Bank Secrecy Act and provide clarity to regulated intermediaries like banks and money services businesses to um, to comply and to ensure we have protections for um, anti-money laundering and sanctions compliance. Where I would like to see the conversation going is how do we modernize the Bank Secrecy Act? How do we leverage technology to strengthen compliance in a way that protects privacy? And with blockchain technology, we absolutely have the tools to do that. But do we have the will and do we have the foresight to for regulators to innovate? And that's really the challenge that we would put forward to policymakers globally is how do we strengthen these goals of protecting the financial system while encouraging innovation, but doing so in a way that's pro-growth, that does not infringe on people's rights and on privacy, um, and that ultimately allows um, nascent technologies a space to grow and to thrive. Um, there's many different um, areas where the, the Bank Secrecy Act could be improved, and we would like to spend our efforts being more proactive as opposed to retroactively trying to apply um, decades-old laws and regulations to an, a nascent and in um, a nascent and emerging space. And this is not just at FinCEN. This is at um, many other regulatory agencies as well. Digital assets are an asset class in their own. They require their own independent study. 
We should be looking at the unique attributes of digital assets and blockchain-based technologies. And again, thinking proactively about ensuring we're still accomplishing the goals of regulators and, and, and uh, protecting the financial system, but doing so in a way that fosters innovation and development. And that requires <laughs> a, a little bit more strategy and deep thinking, and again, is not something that can be rushed through at the ninth or the 11th hour. It's too important. It's absolutely too important. Um, final question. I mean, we we recently spoke with SEC Commissioner Hester Peirce uh, uh, to kick off the year, um, and you know, obviously, uh, the the regulatory action uh, that we've seen from the SEC uh, has been very interesting. A ripple, uh, you know, eight years after inception, uh, is facing now uh, enforcement activity. Hester Peirce is, is a, you know, an example of, you know, increasingly the names that, that you have also shared with us from the U.S. administration side um, and on the uh, agency side of people who are more educated, more well-versed and, and share uh, a concern that innovation should not be stifled and certainly not at the agency level. Um, the enforcement activity that provides that kind of definition or clarity of of what the rails should be for blockchain is this something that you know you're you're also um reviewing from from the chamber side are are you concerned for for a lot of your members that we're going to see more enforcement activity uh as as a point of of cl regulatory clarity the we've already seen uh, some of these issues go to the courts. Um, we saw this in the Telegram versus the SEC case, which the chamber we filed an amicus brief in, and there's going to be other cases that go to the courts. Um, I share Hester Peirce's view that regulation should not be made through enforcement. I think that sends the wrong signal to businesses, to innovators, to entrepreneurs. We should have clear regulatory frameworks and, and guidelines, and it should not take litigation to figure that out. And I think that is a failure on behalf of the system today. And again, that is sending the wrong signals to business. Um, guidance should be given in a proactive way. Leaving it to the courts to do that is incredibly expensive, and it's not a. It, it, it sends the wrong signals to an industry that should be celebrated, and we should be thinking more deeply about how do we encourage this innovation and this development here in the U.S. So again, the direction that has gone and it will continue to go is not something we support. Um, but sometimes that's ultimately where it goes. And that's an area we've played in as well. And we are preparing to continue to play in that space uh, uh, on behalf of our members um, and to ensure that this industry has the opportunity um, uh, to grow and thrive in, in a fair and responsible way. It's an important role you play and an increasingly impactful and relevant one. Perry Ann Boring, thank you so much for. Uh, sharing with us uh, exactly what's happening in the space right now from a U.S. regulatory point of view, but also a global one. Truly appreciate you being on the show. Thanks, Angie. And thank you, everyone, for joining us on this latest episode of Word on the Block. I'm Angie Lev, Broadcast News Editor-in-Chief. Until next time.